From Liangjiahe, a village on the barren lowest plateau in northwest China, to Zhongnanhai, the center of China's top leadership in Beijing. Xi Jinping has served in various posts at different levels of the government across China, starting in his early years as a junior village official to governing as China's top leader. What's he like as an individual and as a leader? How have his work experiences from earlier decades been influencing his leadership as the national leader? What are some of the core principles that have guided his decisions and actions? I consider myself a relatively hard-working person. I know very well that people's biggest concerns are education, employment, income. We can't pursue development through destructive methods, depleting the legacies from our ancestors while exhausting the options for our future generations. The Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series shares the life and work experiences of Xi Jinping and explores the formation of his governing principles, philosophy, beliefs, among others. Getting to know Xi's thoughts on national governance and how his leadership took shape may help you better understand China's path, governance and principles. You can follow the Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series on all major podcast platforms. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Begum with you on this Monday, July 31st, 2023. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, coming to you live from the Chinese capital. On today's program, the remnants of Typhoon Dok Suri are lashing northern China with at least two deaths in Beijing. African leaders are threatening military action in Niger unless coup leaders reinstate the ousted president. Athletes and visitors at the World University Games are exploring tourism in the host city, Chengdu. In business, China's manufacturing sector shows signs of improvement in July. In sports, China tops the podium of the first diving event at the World University Games. In culture and entertainment, a special gala for the athletes at the ongoing games in Chengdu. Now a look at the day's top stories. Typhoon Dog Suri has been lashing northern China and has killed at least two people in western Beijing. The western and southwestern parts of the city are at the epicenter of the severe weather system. Videos on social media show cars being swept away in Muntogo District. Authorities in the Beijing-Tianjin-Hebei region have issued the highest level alerts. Beijing experienced heavy rains over the weekend with nearly 300 bus lines affected. Zheng Chuning has more from the capital city. Beijing and the capital surrounding areas were drenched uh, over the weekends and the city's authorities have issued red alerts which is the highest of its kind and the worst hit areas was uh, Fangshan district in Beijing uh, which was struck by very heavy floods. Beijing's flood control department said that um, it has dispatched over 300,000 uh, personnel uh, and has managed to relocate over uh, 3,000 local residents. Uh, the city also suspended all sports events and uh, many public places like tourist attractions and parks were also shut. Uh, and the residents in Beijing, Tianjin and Hebei were uh, all urged by the local governments to stay at home and to uh, not to go outside. 
unless necessary. And also companies were told to not to, to force their employees to come to work unless necessary. Uh, but still, uh, this extreme weather has uh, largely affected people's commute. The Capital International Airport earlier said on its social media that uh, it has canceled over 50 flights. Uh, and uh, meanwhile, the trains between, uh, many trains between Beijing and Guangzhou uh, were also briefly delayed. The Meteorological Center of Bureau of Beijing said that, that uh, Beijing and the surrounding regions will be experiencing such uh, extreme weather until Tuesday. And that was Zheng Chuning on heavy rainfall in Beijing and its surrounding areas. Floodwaters are receding in parts of Fujian province after Typhoon Doksuri lashed southern and southeastern China. Uh, but alerts remain in place as rescue and cleanup efforts continue. Ubin reports from one of the hardest hit towns. A red alert remains in force even after Typhoon Doksuri has passed through. Nan'an, in south China's Fujian province, suffered heavy rainfall. Parts of the city are still underwater. This town was hit by heavy rainfalls. The water level is probably about 30 to 40 centimeters. Uh, I was told it's already uh, lowering uh, for the day, and uh, for the highest level could reach over one meter. So it is still very dangerous, and various rescue teams are here to evacuate people. Authorities tell us the town's low elevation means it's more susceptible to the impact of heavy rainfall. It started raining heavily Friday morning and decreased a bit in the afternoon, and a rainstorm came Saturday morning. Meteorological experts say this is the worst rainfall to hit Nang'an since 1961. Much of the town was covered in water, trapping people in their homes. Multiple rescue teams arrived immediately. On Saturday, a pregnant woman was among 10 people trapped by flooding on their way to an evacuation site. The local fire department used the excavation equipment to rescue them. We have to be more careful in rescuing pregnant women and also when rescuing children. The waters may go up to an adult's waist, but maybe up to shoulders in children. More than 50 people were trapped by the torrential rain. The water level peaked at around 3 meters, and rescue teams have been using canoes to reach people one by one. Hundreds of residents have been evacuated. No deaths were reported in Fujian province due to the now downgraded typhoon Doksuri. But the estimated initial economic loss across the province is over 3 billion yuan, or about 420 million U.S. dollars. The residents' attention will soon turn to hard work of rebuilding their homes. That was Ubin on uh, one town in Fujian province recovering from the impacts of a powerful typhoon. Chinese Vice Premier He Lifeng is in Pakistan to attend celebrations marking the 10th anniversary of the China-Pakistan Economic Corridor. Pakistan's foreign office says the visit's part of regular high-level exchanges and dialogues between the two countries. The corridor is a flagship project of China's Belt and Road Initiative. It links Gwadar Port in southwestern Pakistan with Kashgar in northwest China, highlighting energy, transport, and infrastructure cooperation. China's embassy in Pakistan says the corridor has brought in 25.4 billion U.S. dollars in direct investment as of the end of last year. It's created over 230,000 jobs and added more than 500 kilometers 
kilometers of highways in Pakistan. Pakistan's foreign ministry says energy projects set up there uh, under the CPEC have been providing one-third of the country's total energy supply. CEO Saad Fazal Malik of the daily CPEC has uh, shared his experiences with the projects under China-Pakistan cooperation. Pakistan has benefited from uh, the investment point of view as well as the road point of view. And so I don't think there is anything, uh, you know, when we talk about the debt trap or anything like that, because I, I, I have traveled on these roads. So I see like not only the people are uh, benefiting from it, even businesses that are developing on the sides of these roads to accommodate tourists and other businesses, the factories, we can also talk about the special economic zones uh, that have t- taken place in Pakistan, you know, which is, uh, of course, after seeing the success of economic zones in China. That was the CEO of the Daily CPEC welcoming Chinese investment in Pakistan under the Belt and Road Initiative. Employment in China is gradually giving way to a more knowledge-based economy. The uh, transitions led to an increased demand for professionals with specialized skills and expertise. As a result, fresh grads are required to adjust their skill sets and adapt to the new demands of the job market. Zheng Tao has more. Most college students used to enter the job market as soon as they graduated. However, New grads in recent years have had to slow down the pace a little bit to look for better working opportunities. Though employed by a prestigious commercial bank, 22-year-old Pan has a strong focus on the balance of work and life. I think work is for a better life. But if work makes you lose the hope of a better life, I think it is better to stop for a while. I'm not sure what I want yet, and I will find out whether I would adapt to this job. I hope I can figure out my needs after working for a while. Young grads are more rational and patient when it comes to choosing an occupation. But the growing competitive job market is also challenging for them to find employment. Employers nowadays are looking for candidates who can bring unique perspectives and innovative ideas to the table. Tan Ting works in HR with a tech enterprise in Shenzhen. We're in an era which is constantly changing. We certainly want our candidates to be more flexible and innovative so that they are able to adapt to changes. The qualities we're looking for among young candidates are strong learning ability and creativity. They need to be proactive and take the initiative. She says candidate efforts may involve pursuing additional education or training programs or developing new skills through independent learning. To succeed in the competitive job market, New Grad Wu says job seekers must be willing to continuously learn and adapt. My job has quite high requirements for professional ability, but the courses I took in college are too theoretical. I also didn't have too much internship experiences. I think my college education is not enough to support me to finish my job perfectly. Meanwhile, authorities have also adopted multiple measures to help young people to find jobs. 
In May, the State Council set a target of creating one million trainee positions for young people. In July, the Ministry of Human Resources and Social Security said that it would strengthen assistance for college graduates encountering difficulties. This year, the number of college graduates reached a record high of over 11.5 million. For the Beijing Hour, this is Zhang Tao. Coming up, African leaders are threatening military action in Niger unless coup leaders reinstate the ousted president. Dive into news like never before with Deep Dive, the podcast from CGTN Radio. Join our global reporters for captivating stories and thought-provoking conversations. Search Deep Dive on your favorite podcast platform and get ready to dive in. At 11 minutes past the hour, leaders from more than a dozen African countries have issued an ultimatum demanding the reinstatement of Niger's ousted president. They warn that failure to do so will bring about armed intervention. Niger's borders are closed and national assets frozen. Ajak Mangut reports. The uh, economic community of West African uh, states, uh, that's ECOWAS, shared by Nigeria's President uh, Bola Tinubu, has uh, condemned the takeover of uh, President Mohamed Bazoum's government in strong terms. In the event the authorities' demands are not met within one week, take all measures necessary to restore constitutional order in the Republic of Niger. Such measures may include the use of force. The ECOWAS is going to cut off uh, financial support uh, to Niger, uh, to cut off trade as well to the landlocked uh, country. I want us to be strong, forceful, and resolute about the survival of Basum as well as the freedom and restoration of the constitutionally elected body in Nigeria. Uh, ECOWAS also suspend uh, Niger from the regional bloc, as is the case uh, with Mali and Burkina Faso when the military took over the governments of those uh, countries. It was the people of Niger who came out to demonstrate their discontent with a policy that has lasted 12 years. I think things are clear. We are telling ECOWAS that Niger belongs to us. It's not up to an individual from ECOWAS to come and insult himself on behalf of Niger. We reaffirm our support for the army. But the coup leaders in Niger have, uh, you know, warned against uh, any military intervention from the ECOWAS and they've called on citizens in the capital, Niamey, to come out and protest against any military intervention by the ECOWAS. We've seen the uh, European Union and, of course, France uh, cutting off uh, financial support to the country. The U.S. has also said it could do so. So Niger was seen as uh, a key ally or uh, an important partner in trying to fight this insurgency that has, you know, created a humanitarian crisis. And many fear that with this recent takeover of the government in Niger, uh, it could complicate the efforts in trying to fight uh, insecurity. That was uh, Ajak Mangut reporting. People in Niger are apprehensive about the country's economy. Abdul Karim Mahama owns an electronics store, and he says he hopes the situation will return to order soon. 
We're particularly concerned about the financial barriers, because in our experience, when there's a coup in a country, the financial institutions either refuse to help or they compromise little on the way they help the country financially. So we believe this could happen to our country. What we want is for the situation to be restored as quickly as possible. That's really our concern. The way Economists, including Abdullah Soli, believe there will be severe financial implications. All externally funded projects will come to a halt. Development projects financed by the EU, World Bank, IMF and others will be halted. Budgetary aid given to Niger will be stopped. I don't know how much it could be, but I'm trying to believe that if we take measure of the situation, we, the people of Niger and the leaders, can take advantage of this situation and leave with our heads held high. The West African bloc ECOWAS has imposed sanctions on Niger following an emergency summit. Aid to one of the poorest countries in the world is now suspended. Supporters of the military takeover have lit the door of the French embassy in Niamey on fire, denouncing the former colonial power. Demonstrators smashed windows and burned French flags. France says it'll not tolerate any attacks against its interests. Anastasia Wariru has more. Throngs of people march in the streets of Niamey, the capital of Niger. They're out to show their support for the recent coup in the country. The people are suffering in this country. Nigerians shouldn't be living like this. The people are coming out to support the pushes because they are here to bring balance to the country. The coup has been widely condemned by regional nations and the international community. The question of extraordinary ECOWAS summit to decide whether or not to intervene in Niger in order to, as they put it, take back power and restore it to those they thought had just been deposed, I think that is a perilous venture and it is missing the point of history and diverting ECOWAS itself from its primary mission, which is to create the conditions for real development and cooperation between our countries to please our former metropolis, France. Coup leaders in Niger have strongly warned against a military intervention. The European Union and France have cut off financial support to the country and the United States may soon follow. That was Anastasia while we were reporting. Deputy Chairman Dmitry Medvedev of Russia's Security Council says Moscow will be forced to use a nuclear weapon if Kyiv's counteroffensive succeeds. Meanwhile, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky says uh, the counter moves are making headway after Russia said it downed three drones, including two that crashed into office buildings in Moscow. Dasha Chernyshova has more. The Russian Ministry of Defense has accused Ukraine of attempting to carry out an act of terrorism against the civilian infrastructure. We understand that three drones were uh, involved in this attempt to attack the Russian capital. One of those has been uh, crushed and destroyed in the Moscow region in the Adinsova area. Another two drones have been jammed by the electronic warfare and the debris of those drones have crashed in the Moscow city area. This is the 
vibrant area where business corporations, some ministries are all having offices. But just to remember, this is not the first attack by the Ukrainian drones against the Russian capital just over the course of this week. It is already the third one. All that taking place this week. And that's not the uh, the first attempt. We have heard before the attack of the Ukrainian drone against the Kremlin and even more. So certainly we understand the Russian authorities are noticing that those attacks are increasing and the Moscow authorities are saying they're doing everything possible to beef up the security so that those drones are being jammed or destroyed before they reach their targets. That was Dasha Chernyshova reporting from Moscow. Russian President Vladimir Putin says uh, 30 ships of various classes will join the Navy this year. Around 3,000 military personnel have taken part in Russia's Navy Day celebrations in St. Petersburg. Putin invited several leaders of African countries to the event. Leon Essenyange has more. Big announcement at uh, the Naval Parade here in St. Petersburg. Uh, about 45 vessels uh, sailed through the Neva River. Uh, first of all, uh, President Vladimir Putin commended his uh, Navy force for their resilience and determination in protecting Russia and its out, uh, outposts. But then, of course, that big one coming through of uh, the addition of 30 combat vessels of various categories to the already existing more than 290 uh, vessels. Today, Russia is confidently implementing the large-scale tasks of its national maritime policy and is consistently building up the power of its navy. This year alone, 30 ships of various classes will be added to its fleet. Now, specifically to that, of course, is the fact that uh, this plays a very big uh, role in um, what could be, especially where uh, the vessels are placed, and specifically the Black Sea, uh, the Russian uh, Navy force uh, conducted an exercise that potentially is a sign that uh, they could react to any vessels that are considered as military targets. So definitely uh, the show here, one of those significant moments. That was Leon Essenyange in St. Petersburg. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up, athletes and visitors in Chengdu for the World University Games are also checking out the sites across the city. Chengdu, a city known for its buzzing nightlife and giant pandas, as well as being a famous foodie destination, is the host city for the 31st Summer World University Games. Athletes from over 80 countries and regions will be competing in 18 sports to fight for a chance to stand on the podium. Who are the star players? What are the highlights of the day's matches? And which team leads the medal table? Tuning to the Beijing Hour on CGTN Radio will bring you the latest news, highlights and previews during this year's Summer World University Games in Chengdu. 20 minutes past the hour. Well, Chengdu is known as the home of giant pandas. Seeing the bears is a must for visitors to the southwestern Chinese city, and that's exactly what athletes at the World University Games are doing. Gua Tianxi caught up with some of them. August is the time of year when panda babies are born, and the athletes from around the world participating in the World University Games are fortunate to witness these pink creatures up close. It's really amazing. I've never seen a panda before, and they are just a few meters from us. On July 25th, Yuan Mo, the first panda born in France, returned to the base here in Chengdu. Seeing the living conditions here, his French fellows are reassured. The presence of these fluffy creatures also brings comfort to the athletes. Yes, it's very relaxing. Before the competition, it's perfect for us. 
all, all my team like that. And it's very important for uh, uh, concentration before the competition and uh, for relaxation before. It's necessary. Experiencing traditional Chinese culture is another theme of the trip, and athletes can learn Chinese paper cutting on site and bring home pandas with cultural marks. We would like to share this moment with Chinese people and to um, to be open to understand the, the culture and uh, the language too. It's very different from France. It's beautiful. In my country, don't have pandas, uh, so. Only here, I think that is so important that information for other countries will protect the environment. The need to protect giant pandas draws the attention to the needs for broader environmental protection, and the giant panda itself is a special envoy of friendship around the world. That was Gua Tianqi in Chengdu on giant pandas connecting cultures. And for more on the competitions and other events at the World University Games, Tian Yu will join us in the second half of the program. The Chengchun Air Show in Jilin has attracted a record 650,000 visitors. The Chinese People's Liberation Army Air Force displayed stunning acro- or aerobatic shows and combat readiness at the five-day event. Pilot Chen Xiaoliang says they're excited to see the warm cheers and applause of the spectators. We will celebrate the 96th founding anniversary of the Chinese People's Liberation Army. It's not only of special commemorative significance, but also a vivid patriotic education for us August 1st aerobatics team to celebrate our soldiers' own festival on this stage in such a unique way. Many Chinese-made fighter jets, transport aircraft, and training planes conducted formation flights and simulated aerial combat during the air show, and some of them made their formal debuts at the event. China's permanent mission to the UN has held a reception at its headquarters to mark the upcoming 96th anniversary of the founding of the People's Liberation Army, which falls on Tuesday. Uh, Jean-Pierre Lacroix is the UN Under Secretary General for Peace Operations. He expressed gratitude for the contributions of PLA soldiers to UN peacekeeping missions. So I want to tell our uh, good colleagues, the men and women uh, from uh, the PLA who are serving uh, in uh, our peacekeeping operation, I want to congratulate them uh, on this day, but I also want to thank them because they are doing an excellent job under very difficult conditions and uh, they are uh, making a great contribution to the UN's effort to promote peace. So I want to tell them thank you and congratulations. Chinese embassies in many countries have held receptions to celebrate the PLA's birthday. A former Syrian ambassador to China, Imad Mustafa, congratulated the PLA and he thanked the Chinese government and people for standing on the side of Syria and its just cause. It makes me very, very happy to see that today the world order is not monopolized by the United States of America. China is striving to build a mutual benefit relationship with all countries, especially with the developing countries, with the great Idai-Ilu initiative. And this reflects positively on China and the minds and brains of everybody. Chinese embassies in countries including Kazakhstan, Egypt, Brazil and Austria have also held activities to mark Army Day. Bolivia has discovered new reserves of lithium, is consolidated its status as the country with the world's biggest known deposits of the element that's vital to electric vehicles. Uh, Monica Macchiaco uh, examines uh, what that means for the Andean country. 
For Bolivians, the salt flats are plains of white gold with the potential to help the poorest country in South America help the entire world transition to clean energy. Our country has the largest lithium reserves in the world, which is why our government has bet on the exploitation and industrialization. Bolivia announced it discovered another 2 million tons of lithium reserves in the Coipasa and Pastos Grandes salt flats, along with those from the largest salt flat in the world, the Salar de Uyuni. It brings Bolivia's estimated total reserves to 23 million metric tons. The country is in the process to certify the new findings and plans to confirm other deposits. Bolivia, along with Argentina and Chile, is part of the so-called lithium triangle. These three countries account for nearly 60 percent of the world's total lithium reserves. The country that has the largest reserves in the world has bargaining power and considers an economy of scale. Products are offered at the best price. Two Chinese companies and one Russian will invest $2.8 billion to purify industrial-grade lithium. Other companies could join using a lithium extraction technology developed in Bolivia. People who live near the salt flats hope to end their dependence on salt gathering from the flats. There are a lot of droughts. For this reason, we ask of the government and the companies that are going to establish here is to give us the opportunity to work for our children so as not to migrate. Exploiting lithium for the benefit of communities has been a decade-long dream for many Bolivians. But after widespread protest over a proposed mining deal with the U.S. company Litco, the Bolivian government backed out. Despite the delay in industrialization, Bolivia aims to sell $9.6 billion worth in lithium by 2026, boosting the market in the short term. That was Monica Machkow in La Paz, Bolivia. A Zambian environmentalist Robert Shimambo says the decision by Japan to release nuclear contaminated water is detrimental to the whole world. They should not be thinking, no, since me, I'm safe now. You may be safe now, but in 20 years' time, what goes around comes around. That is the thing about uh, the Japanese uh, uh, disaster. And that should be a lesson for globally, that we should be acting in interest of the, the globe current and future, and not just the so-called national interest. The Japanese government's determined to discharge the wastewater from the Fukushima nu- uh, Daiichi nuclear power plant into the sea in August, even though there's been strong opposition globally. At 28 past the hour, Beijing's at 24 degrees overnight, and after two days of heavy downpour, the rain is forecast to ease on Tuesday. It'll still see slight rain with a high of 30 Celsius. Chongqing's at 27 this evening, then moderate rainfall in 33, lasts down to 14, then a slight rain in 23. Hong Kong has 27 degrees this evening. It'll see thunder showers in 33 tomorrow. Elsewhere, Tokyo's 27 overnight, a slight rain and 34 degrees on Tuesday. It's time for a short break. So far this hour, the remnants of Typhoon Dog Suri are lashing northern China, and at least two deaths have been reported in Beijing. Leaders from more than a dozen African countries are demanding that coup leaders in Niger reinstate the ousted president. And athletes and visitors of the World University Games are exploring tourism in the host city, Chengdu. Shane Begum with you. Stay with us here on the Beijing Hour. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, 60 minutes of comprehensive news, your window on China and the world.
Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Begum with you on this Monday. Still to come. In business, China's manufacturing sector shows signs of improvement in July. In sports, China tops the podium of the first diving event at the World University Games. In culture and entertainment, a special gala for the athletes at the ongoing games in Chengdu. To contact us, you can email beijinghour at cri.com.cn or follow our Twitter account at CGTN Radio. Uh, first of all, now a check of the day's uh, headline news, and at least two people have died in western Beijing amid intense rainfall brought about by Typhoon Doksuri. Authorities in Montogo district have urged people to stay away from rivers, hills, and waterlogged roads. Beijing had heavy rains over the weekend, with nearly 300 bus lines affected. Top-level alerts are in place in the Beijing-Tianjin-Hebei region. The downpour is expected to last until Tuesday. Leaders from the economic community of West African states have agreed to impose financial and travel sanctions on military leaders in Niger involved in the ouster of President Mohamed Bazoum. Uh, the measures include the closure of land and air borders and the suspension of commercial and financial transactions between ECOWAS members and Niger. Leaders from the West African regional bloc have also decided to freeze Niger's assets in the central and commercial banks of ECOWAS countries. ECOWAS President Omar Torre says the bloc has given military leaders in Niger a week to cede power and reinstate President Mohamed Bazoum. In the event the authorities' demands are not met within one week, take all measures necessary to restore constitutional order in the Republic of Niger. Such measures may include the use of force. To this effect, the chiefs, the chiefs of defense staff of ECOWAS are to meet immediately. Hold accountable all those responsible for violence and terror against lives and properties of innocent citizens and residents of Niger. Defense and Security Forces of Niger said last week that soldiers in the country had overthrown Basum hours after the president was allegedly held hostage. The former leader of the country's presidential guard was then named president of the National Council for the Safeguard of the Homeland. He signed an order to suspend the constitution and dissolve the government, empowering the council to exercise all legislative and executive authority. A suicide blast that hit a political gathering in northwest Pakistan has killed at least 44 people and injured hundreds of others. Police say the attack took place when a bomber detonated his jacket at the event in Bajar. Uh, some survivors and witnesses recall what happened at the scene. When we reached convention and speeches were being delivered on the stage, we were standing to welcome our leaders when suddenly there was an explosion, and then we lost consciousness. There was a sudden blast, and within moments, dozens of people were lying dead or injured on the ground. After that, there was gunfire, and we shifted our leaders to safety. I can't say anything for sure, but there was sudden gunfire after the blast. Health Minister Riaz Anwar says the number of dead may rise as many wounded people are in critical condition. All the critical patients have been airlifted to the provincial capital. An explosion at a fireworks warehouse in southern Thailand has killed at least 12 people and injured over 100 others. Many survivors whose homes were shattered say they were shocked by the unexpected disaster. I stood in shock. My father and my sisters were still in the house. I couldn't go inside to help. 
There were fires and explosions everywhere. At the moment the fire went out, I walked in and saw my siblings-in-law lying dead. All that's left of my house is just the walls. The roof and bedroom were all destroyed. All the cupboards and the clothes are all burnt. All I could think about was whether my children were safe. Nothing else matters. The explosion happened when firecrackers ignited the fire at the unauthorized warehouse. It damaged over 200 houses, affecting more than 360 people. Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas has proposed a new dialogue committee, which he hopes could help to restore inter-Palestinian unity. It comes as heads of Palestinian factions, including Fatah and Hamas, discussed reconciliation efforts during a meeting in Egypt amid soaring violence between Israeli and Palestinian militants in the West Bank. Abbas says the meeting is a significant step in efforts to achieve national unity. I consider the meeting of the general secretaries of the Palestinian factions a first and important step to complete our dialogue, which we hope will achieve the desired goals as soon as possible. He urges the formation of a committee with representatives of Palestinian factions to complete the dialogue on issues discussed during the meeting. Turkey's foreign minister has urged Sweden to take steps to prevent burnings of the Koran. Hakan Fidan told his Swedish counterpart that such uh, actions under the guise of freedom of speech are unacceptable. Uh, there have been several protests in Sweden and Denmark where the holy book was burned or damaged. Sweden said earlier this month that the government will examine whether it could change the Public Order Act to give police the possibility to stop demonstrations that threaten security. Denmark says it'll seek to find a legal tool that'll enable authorities to prevent the burnings of the Koran in front of embassies. Hundreds in the western Canadian province of British Columbia have evacuated homes due to an out-of-control wildfire burning across the Canada-U.S. border. Local authorities have issued an evacuation order for over 700 properties in and around the town of Soyuz, 400 kilometers east of Vancouver. Media reports say that fire originated in Washington state. And that's your headline news update. This is Shane Bigham in the Chinese capital. And coming up in business, China's manufacturing sector shows signs of improvement in July. Looking for the hottest trends in China? Craving captivating podcasts and stories from our reporters? Get in the know and follow CGTN Radio on Twitter and stay informed. 37 minutes past the hour. Turning to business and stock markets on the Chinese mainland finish higher on Monday. Timothy Pope has more. The uh, Chinese mainland markets were boosted by uh, the slightly better looking manufacturing PMI data showing the contraction in the sector slowing and by some more uh, supportive statements from the country's top economic plan. We had the Shanghai Composite Index uh, up by about half of 1% and the Shenzhen component gaining three quarters of a percent. Both of them though somewhat lower than their highs uh, in earlier trade. Property developer stocks were uh, leading uh, the uh, trade. Season holdings rose a little under 1%. Cinder Real Estate gained 2.3%. Investors are really continuing to expect some more supportive measures from both the government and the central bank uh, to, uh, to support the property sector. Uh, the NDRC statement, which uh, suggested ways of helping stimulate consumption uh, in China's auto and appliances sectors, uh, gave a boost to consumer stocks. We saw EV maker BYD gaining 1.9% and uh, electronics retailer Suning.com uh, gaining 1%. 
That was market analyst Timothy Pope in Shanghai. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index rose over eight-tenths of a percent. In Japan, the Nikkei gained around 1.3 percent. China's manufacturing sector has seen an improved business climate in July as the Purchasing Manager's Index climbed for a second straight month. Official data shows the figure came in at 49.3 in July, rising steadily from the previous two months. Among the 21 surveyed industries, 10 reported expansion in July, that's up from 8 a month earlier. The non-manufacturing PMI for the month remained at 51.5, pointing to robust activities in the service and construction industries. Analysts say these figures indicate that the Chinese economy has maintained its recovery trend. For more regarding China's manufacturing PMI, uh, Guan Xin spoke to Li Yong, a senior fellow at the China Association of International Trade. So what forces are driving China's economic recovery? Well, I think the uh, key forces are the policy measures being taken or that have been taken to uh, have a positive impact on the economic growth and recovery. And there are basically five areas of policies. There are monetary policies, uh, which focused on, for example, the uh, lowering the cost of money, uh, not just the deposit rate, but also open market operation rates, uh, LR, uh, LPR rates. And the second is the proactive uh, physical policy, which focused on the uh, debt issue and the uh, spending on infrastructure. And of course, there are policies regarding the problematic property market. And uh, the property policies are trying to address the issues, rationalizing and optimizing the supply and demand of the property market. Of course, there are policies about expansion of consumption. And more importantly, is there are several policy meetings regarding improving the business environment for the private sector. What are the weak spots and what more policy support is needed? I think uh, the non-manufacturing sectors are kind of a problematic because even though they are those uh, subsectors, uh, non-manufacturing subsectors are still in the area of expansion, but uh, uh, non-manufacturing PMI registered 1.7 drop, and particularly at the sub-index of the service sector registered a drop of 1.3 percentage point. Uh, and I think you know going forward in the next half of the year, the key policies I think will be focusing still in three areas. For example, the expansion of the demand, the uh, adjustment of the economic structure and uh, the lifting of the business confidence. I think we can still have the uh, optimism of achieving the GDP target of 5%. That was Li Yong breaking down China's economic recovery. The National Development and Reform Commission has released a 20-point package. NDRC Vice Chairman Li Chun-Lin noted the need for more policy support to lift consumer confidence. Wu seen a strong rebound in offline shopping in the first half of the year, especially in catering businesses and travel. But we do see some segments lagging in terms of consumption recovery. But relatively low consumer confidence, and the message is clear. We'll keep three guidelines in mind when implementing measures to boost consumption. First, Market players and the government will both play proactive roles in building a national unified market that unleashes the market vitality. In addition, supply-side reforms are equally important. When we talk about boosting demand, 
Product makers and service providers can lead and create new ways to entice consumers. Last but not least, catering to the needs of the majority and striving for inclusiveness are key to providing a smooth shopping experience. Adequate consumer protections are also required to improve consumption. Authorities have reiterated the need to improve spending on everything, including electric cars and new homes. China's National Development and Reform Commission has called for an increase in service consumption, especially tourism and the establishment of uh, convenient life circles. It also mentioned digital and low-carbon consumption, calling for greater innovation in digital technology and its various applications. More measures to optimize consumption infrastructure were also highlighted. China and France held the ninth high-level economic and financial dialogue. French Finance Minister Bruno Le Maire has said his country is willing to strengthen cooperation with China on economy and finance. Aaron Leo reports. The meeting agenda specifically focuses on industries such as cosmetics, agriculture and aviation. According to the Ministry of Economy, Finance and Industry and Digital Sovereignty of France, Le Maire's visit also includes plans to meet with Chinese business leaders. The ministry states that France maintains an open attitude towards Chinese investments. France welcomes Chinese investors, especially in the fields of electric vehicles, new energy batteries and energy transition. Allowing Chinese companies to invest and develop in Europe would be a very good thing. The China-France high-level economic and financial dialogue mechanism was established in 2013 and served as an important platform for both countries to discuss and coordinate major economic and financial issues. We're totally against the idea of decoupling. Decoupling is a fancy. It is impossible to cut all the links between the American, European and Chinese economies. It has made positive contributions to deepening practical cooperation. That was Aaron Leo reporting. The yearly inflation rate in Laos uh, eased to 27.8% in July, down from 28.6% in June. The depreciation of the Lao currency is one of the main factors driving inflation, as one-third of the goods used to calculate prices uh, are imported. In July, the hike in consumer prices was mainly driven by food and non-alcoholic beverage categories, which uh, surged around 37.8%. That was followed by hotels and restaurants at 32.8%. Clothing and footwear, 28 Medical care and medicines at 20.8%. Laos Central Bank will continue to tighten its monetary policy to stabilize the value of the KIP, curb inflation, and minimize the impacts on people's lives. A report says Italian GDP growth is slowing and was almost at a standstill in the second quarter of the year. It says the growth is being held back by high interest rates and even the foreign boost of the export of goods has come to a halt. The IMF this week upped its uh, Italy growth forecast to 1.1% this year and 0.9% next. German retail sales fell more than expected in June from the previous month. The Federal Statistics Office said retail sales were down 0.8%. Analysts polled by Reuters had predicted sales to rise 0.2% on the month. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up in sports, China tops the podium of the first diving event at the World University Games. Sideline Story brings you all things sports-related. The hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. 
Subscribe to Sideline Story Podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world. It's 46 past the hour now. Turning to sports, here's Yang Guang. Thank you, Shane. At the Chengdu World University Games, China has clinched the first diving gold medal on offer at the Games in the men's synchronized 3-meter springboard contests. Huang Bowen and Liang Wen Liang Chaohui took the title in a dominant fashion. China also won gold medals in artistic gymnastics and wushu on Monday. Meantime, Chinese paddlers have reached the semifinals of both the men's and women's table tennis team events. For more on the action, Chengdu correspondent Tian Yu is joining us on the line. Hello, Tian Yu. Uh, we know wushu or Chinese martial arts is a unique sport at this year's World University Games as it originated in China. And there were plenty of wushu events over the weekend. Um, tell us more about the competitions. Well, Yangguang, martial arts games have really been under the spotlight for the past few days. A lot of foreign athletes and journalists have, been, uh, have expressed their interest and expectations before the game to watch the martial arts matches themselves. And the courts where the martial arts matches were staged have been packed with audiences who share the same passion for the sport. And I think the matches this time could really live up to their hope. On Saturday, Chinese athlete uh, Tao Mao Yuan has claimed the first gold medal of this year's university games by gaining the highest point in men's Nanquan, which, as the Chinese name suggests, originated in southern China. The school of Nanquan is characterized by an emphasis on short hitting and spe- specific arm movement. And just over an hour after he got the first gold medal of the tournament, Song Chui Fang added another gold for Team China as she prevailed in women's Nandao event. Also notably, it is not only Chinese players that are shining in the sport. We have also seen a couple of players from other countries and regions that have been doing excellent movements in martial arts matches. Players from uh, Chinese Hong Kong and Indonesia have claimed the gold medals in the men's men's Tai Chi sword and women's long fist games. Uh, On Sunday, Sun Jiahong from Chinese Taipei has also caused a stir on the games for winning the first gold medal for his team in men's Tai Chi. And the background music he chose was I Love You, China, a famous folk song among Chinese people. So uh, since 2017, when martial arts was selected as one of the official sport events to choose from on university, the growth of the sport has been booming. And this time, over 30 countries and regions have participated in martial arts events in this year's university game, Yangguang. Mm, Great. Uh, What are your picks for highlights at the games today? Well, this, this is another day packed with many beautiful matches. First of all, in rhythmic gymnastics, the Chinese girls have been presenting incredible performance in group five hoops finals and got a gold medal for the team. And their play was really a perfect uh, combination of unity and grace. And apart from that, uh, as you mentioned, diving is another highlight for Team China as the players have claimed two gold medals in the men's synchronized three-meter springboard final and the women's synchronized 10-meter platform finals. Also in judo, player Jia Chun Di has created quite a surprise for us by beating a strong opponent from South Korea in the women's 78-kilogram final. And in archery, it's a pity Zhou Jia Yu didn't prevail as she got beaten by American player Alisa Grace in the semifinal of compound individual matches and lost the bronze medal and got beaten by Cho Sua with South Korea. But in tennis, uh, Zhang Wushuang and uh, Liu Hanyi have both advanced through the third round of the game in women's and men's singles matches. 
So a lot of matches to follow and many rising stars. And let's keep an eye on them and how they will progress. Yang Guang. All right, thank you very much. That was Tianyu on the World University Games in Chengdu. Turning to the FIFA Women's World Cup, Japan took an impressive 4-0 win over Spain to top Group C after three consecutive victories without conceding a goal. In the same group, Zambia beat Costa Rica 3-1 and both teams were knocked out from the group stage. In Sunday's action, Colombia caused the biggest upset so far at the tournament by beating Germany 2-1 in Group H. German forwards Alexandra Pop says the team did poorly on the offensive side. Yeah, it was a very tough game, but um, I thought um, my team was very good in the game. We have a very good defense. The forward was not so perfect in the last uh, zone in the box, last pass, um, the last shot on the goal was not a good timing. In Group A, Switzerland played to a goalless draw with New Zealand, which means elimination for the co-host team. Norway progressed to the last 16 after a 6-0 win against the Philippines. Team China has wrapped up the World Aquatics Championships on top of the medal table with 20 gold, 8 silver and 12 bronze medals. China won a silver medal in the men's 4x100m medley relay on the last day of competition. China, led by emerging star Qin Haiyan, clocked an Asian record time in the distance, but came up short against the U.S. Competing in a relay truly excited us, but our physical fitness has almost reached the limit after so many days of competition, so we definitely tried our best to earn the silver. We spared no efforts, and I think we are very good. The United States finished the tournament with their most successful day, clinching three of the six titles available, including the men's 50-meter backstroke and women's 4x100-meter medley relay. In Formula 1, defending champion Max Verstappen emphatically won the Belgian Grand Prix for an eighth straight win of a crushingly dominant season. Despite starting from a sixth place, he finished 22 seconds ahead of teammate Sergio Perez to give Red Bull an easy 1-2. Yeah, I mean, I knew that we had a great car. It was just about surviving turn one. I could see that it was all getting really tight. I've been in that position before as well myself. So I was like, I'm just going to stay out of that. And um, it worked out. And then from there onwards, I think, yeah, we all made you know the right overtakes moves. I just got a little bit stuck in the beginning in a, in a bit of a DRS train. But... Once that cleared, I could do my own pace and, uh, yeah, again, really enjoyable. The victory moved Verstappen closer to a third straight world title and his own F1 record of 15 wins in a season. Ferrari driver Charles Leclerc finished in third for a third podium of the season. Chinese racer Zhou Guanyu was 13th. And finally, in tennis, Alexander Zverev won his first ATP title since he sustained an ankle injury last year. The German fourth seed beat Laszlo Jerry at the Hamburg Open. It's almost like a first again uh, because it's been such a long time, as you said, 18 months, and um, I'm just super happy right now. CVRF won without dropping a set at his hometown tournament. Meantime, in women's action, Iga Sviantek also took the title at her home event as she smashed Laura Sigmund 6-love 6-1 in the final of the Warsaw Open. Thank you very much. Uh, that was Yang Guang. You're listening to the Beijing Hour and coming up in culture, a special gala for the athletes at the ongoing games in Chengdu. The Beijing Hour. Hello, I'm Peter Dinklage from X-Men Days of Future Past. You are listening to the Beijing Hour. Hi, I'm Kathy Freeman, and you're listening to the Beijing Hour. 
Hi everyone, I'm Lang Lang. Welcome to the Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour, your window to China and the world. Fifty-four past the hour now. In culture and entertainment, athletes at this year's World University Games took some time off from the competition to attend a, a special gala in their honor. From pandas and uh, kung fu to Sichuan opera, the international guests enjoyed it all. Xu、uh, Xinchen spoke to some of the college athletes. Aside from the competitive natures of the games, athletes participating in this time in the World University Games are also celebrating through dancing and songs. Sport has long served as a platform for cultural exchange, and here in Chengdu, there's no exception. Youth in Time was a the theme of the Chengdu University Athletes Gala held at the Fizhou Games Village. I just wanted to see what was gonna go like, show us. It was interesting, so we just came here. Any of the shows that some would attract you, they're just from the the name of them.、Uh, I think dancing. It dances, right? Yes, it could be very and interesting. And see the pandas. pandas. Oh, of course, the pandas. <laughs> pandas great. We have no idea what's going to happen. Like, we're just here,、yeah. no expectations, hoping for a good time. We'll see what happens. We're very excited. The gala featured performances of folk music, martial arts, and Sichuan opera. Been very pleased with everything that we've seen so far. Like a lot of the shows was spectacular. It was absolutely amazing. Fantastic experience getting to know a little bit more about the Chinese culture. Jack Dong even took to the stage and learned a few tricks from a Sichuan opera master. Your eyes on your hand. Chinese diver and Olympic gold medalist Zhang Jiaqi was also in attendance. She too is competing at the university in Chengdu. I look forward to compete and learning from athletes from around the world, and these games are also a platform for cultural exchanges. I hope to make new friends from other countries as well. The Olympic gold medalist later took to the stage and performed for the guests. That was、uh, Xu Xinchen on a gala on the sidelines of the University Games in Chengdu. Shark action thriller Meg Two: The Trench premiered in Beijing ahead of its global release,、uh, with the hopes of scoring another success after the first installment in 2018. China U.S. co-produced film stars Jason Statham and Wu Jing, and tells the story of a research team that encounters multiple threats while exploring the depths of the ocean and unleashes megalodon shark mayhem. The Meg,、uh, the adaptation of Steve Alton's book of the same name, raked in 530 million U.S. dollars at the global box office five years ago. The sequel is set to hit theaters on Friday. The box office success of Barbie and Oppenheimer has not abated a, a week after their、uh, openings, as the two films remained unusually strong in North American theaters. Barbie took in a massive 93 million U.S. dollars on its second weekend, following its year-best 162 million dollar opening. 
You have to go to the real world. Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer again landed in second place with an estimated $46 million. New release Haunted Mansion was easily overshadowed by the uh, Barbenheimer Blitz. Uh, the theme park adaptation debuted with $24 million in North America. We're at 58 past the hour. Beijing's at 24 degrees overnight. Tomorrow we'll see a slight rain in 30 degrees. Chongqing's at 27 this evening, then moderate rainfall in 33. Lasts us down to 14, then a slight rain in 23. Hong Kong's at 27 this evening. Thunder shower and 33 tomorrow. Elsewhere, Tokyo's at 27 overnight, a slight rain and 34 on Tuesday. Islamabad will be uh, getting 24 overnight, then a slight rain and 36. Bangkok's at 27 this evening, then a slight rain and 33 on Tuesday. In Africa, Nairobi has a slight rain with a high of 26 degrees Celsius. That's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour. Making news today, the remnants of Typhoon Doksuri are lashing northern China with at least two deaths recorded in Beijing. And athletes and visitors at the World University Games are exploring tourism in the host city. On behalf of the staff, this is Shane Bigham in the Chinese capital, hoping you'll join us for the next edition of the Beijing Hour and open a window to the world together.